Welcome to Poems for Company. This is a theme-based show. In each episode, I gather together a number of poems that share at least one feature. The poems selected for today's show allow us to imagine the dead. Sometimes, dead people will even speak in these poems. The poem, Danny Boy, set to music, has often been sung at funerals in the United States and is certainly considered an Irish poem, though it was written by a British lawyer, Frederick Weatherly, in 1910. We may presume the speaker to be a parent offering parting words to an adult child who may be leaving Ireland, sailing to Bristol or Boston or Brooklyn, part of the Irish diaspora. For convenience sake, we'll say the speaker of Danny Boy is a mother. She presumes no reunion in this world will occur when so much watery distance separates them. The poem, just four stanzas long, and the last two situate the mother in the grave, anticipating the adult child will return to Ireland many, many years later, return at least for a visit. The third stanza refers to an Ave, a Hail Mary prayer. This is Frederick Weatherly's 1910 lyric, Danny Boy. Oh, Danny Boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling from glen to glen and down the mountainside. The summer's gone and all the roses falling. It's you, it's you must go and I must bide. But come ye back when summer's in the meadow, or when the valley's hushed and white with snow. It's I'll be here in sunshine or in shadow. Oh, Danny boy, oh, Danny boy, I love you so. But when you come, and all the flowers are dying, if I am dead, as dead I well may be, You'll come and find the place where I am lying and kneel and say an ave there for me. And I shall hear those soft you tread above me and all my grave will warmer, sweeter be. For you will bend and tell me that you love me and I shall sleep in peace until you come to me. That's Frederick Weatherly's Danny Boy. The speaker trusts she will hear the visitor praying at the gravesite, and she anticipates a restful waiting period until an afterlife reunion takes place. No wonder it's a staple of funerals It's consoling, in a sentimental way, without being theologically rigorous. Danny does not speak in Danny Boy. But now let us consider a couple of poems that are built around dialogues. Our first dialogue poem is between 
a dead man and his former comrade who's still alive. This is an A.E. Hausman's poem, Is My Team Plowing? This is a poem from the wildly popular A Shropshire Lad, published in 1896. Hausman does not attempt to define what it's like to be dead. The dead speaker instead expresses much curiosity in local events and people he left behind as he converses with his living friend. The poem is formatted as an interview. The dead man poses questions and his live friend answers them. The dead man asks about the work going on above, about the soccer matches played down by the river, and he expresses anxiety about his sweetheart. The final answer he receives seems to reveal more than he expected. This is A.E. Hausman's Is My Team Plowing? Is my team plowing that I was used to drive and hear the harness jingle when I was man alive? I, the horses trample, the harness jingles now, no change though you lie under the land you used to plow. Is football playing along the river shore with lads to chase the leather, now I stand up no more. Ay, the ball is flying, the lads play heart and soul. The goal stands up, the keeper stands up to keep the goal. Is my girl happy that I thought hard to leave? And has she tired of weeping as she lies down at eve? Ay, she lies down lightly, she lies not down to weep. Your girl is well contented. Be still, my lad, and sleep. Is my friend hardy? Now I am thin and pine. And has he found to sleep in a better bed than mine? Yes, lad, I lie easy. I lie as lads would choose. I cheer a dead man's sweetheart. Never ask me whose. That's A. E. Hausman's poem, Is My Team Plowing? The living man tries to console his dead friend. Be still, my lad, and sleep, he says to him. Yet he just increased his dead friend's anxiety by informing him he cheers or comforts a dead man's sweetheart. We get two speakers conversing as well in Thomas Hardy's poem from 1914, Ah, Are You Digging on My Grave? One of the speakers is a dead woman residing in the local cemetery. As the poem's title suggests, she hears some movement above and inquires of her visitor. Who's digging on her grave? Is it her lover? Is it her dearest kin? 
is it her enemy? No, her visitor tells her, I'm none of these. And then the visitor, most curiously, quotes what he's heard from other folks. Well, let's listen in. This is Thomas Hardy's poem, Ah, Are You Digging on My Grave? Ah, are you digging on my grave, my loved one, planting rue? No, yesterday he went to wed, one of the brightest wealth has bred. It cannot hurt her now, he said, that I should not be true. Then who is digging on my grave, my nearest, dearest kin? Ah, no, they sit and think, what use? What good will planting flowers produce? No tendance of her mound can loose her spirit from death's gin. But someone digs upon my grave, my enemy, prodding sly. Nay, when she heard you had passed the gate that shuts on all flesh soon or late, she thought you no more worth her hate and cares not where you lie. Then who is digging on my grave? Say, since I have not guessed. Oh, it is I, my mistress dear, your little dog who still lives near. And much I hope my movements here have not disturbed your rest. Ah, yes, you dig upon my grave. Why flashed it not to me that one true heart was left behind? What feeling do we ever find to equal among humankind a dog's fidelity? Mistress, I dug upon your grave to bury a bone in case I should be hungry near this spot when passing on my daily trot. I am sorry, but I quite forgot it was your resting place. That's Thomas Hardy's 1914 poem, Ah, Are You Digging on My Grave? A poem that depicts a most unsentimental dog. Like Hausman's poem, Is My Team Plowing, Hardy's may make us wonder, Is this intended to be comical? In Hardy's poem, the visitor is not the dead woman's beloved planting rue, the emblem of sorrow. It's, it's not the beloved because the beloved has moved on and married, as the poem says, one of, one of the brightest wealth has bred. And her nearest, dearest kin are too cynical to bother to plant flowers. Even her enemy has become apathetic. As in Hausman's poem, the final lines are delivered by the living. I'm guessing that the, this next poem I will read may sound even more familiar to you than Danny Boy.
Its author, John McCrae, served as a surgeon in the Canadian Army Medical Corps in the First World War. His poem, In Flanders Fields, first published in 1915, became a kind of anthem for the First World War. This is John McCrae's In Flanders Fields. In Flanders Fields the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place. And in the sky the larks, still bravely singing, fly scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands, we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. That's John McCrae's First World War poem, in Flanders Fields. So, we're in a makeshift cemetery with crosses marking the graves. Larks overhead, though the shelling drowns out their songs. The poet wants us to believe all the dead lying together agree. The fighting must continue. This is a disturbing poem. The fact that it became wildly popular should be unsettling to us. Paraphrased crudely, the poem urges that soldiers keep killing one another because the dead soldiers want the carnage to continue. They pass on the torch to their living comrades. The poem includes absolutely no discussion of what the men are fighting for or who profits from the war. There's no sense that the industrial level of slaughter in the war is justified. The poem, though crafted well in formal terms, is propaganda, a simple-minded plea to keep killing the enemy because that's what the dead comrades demand. As the final line state, If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. The speaker in Danny Boy, the first poem I read, claims she will be comforted when Danny visits her grave. But the three poems that followed today, the poems by Houseman, Is My Team Plowing, and Hardy's Ah, Are You Digging on My Grave, and John McCrae's In Flanders Fields, all three of those indicate that the dead focus on their own anxieties. 
they worry about how the world functions in their absence. They're not going to be comforted by news from the world above. Depicting the dead as emotionally uncomfortable has a long history, going back at least to Homer's Odyssey. The title character, Odysseus, is required to visit the underworld. There he encounters the shades of many people he knew, including his mother. He sailed to Troy over a decade earlier and did not know that in his absence she died. She, Anticlia is her name, expresses astonishment that a living person has entered this zone of the dead, this gloom at the world's end. Homer creates a scene many of us imagine, an opportunity to converse with the dead parent. Anticlia, Odysseus's mother, speaks of life back on their home island of Ithaca. She speaks of Odysseus's wife, of his son Telemachus, and of Odysseus's father. Here's their exchange from Book 11 of the Odyssey, with Anticlia speaking first. Child, how could you cross alive into this gloom at the world's end? No sight for living eyes. Great currents run between, desolate waters, the ocean first, where no man goes a journey without ship's timber under him. Say now, is it from Troy, still wandering after years, that you come here with ship and company? Have you not gone at all to Ithaca? Have you not seen your lady in your hall? She put these questions, and I answered her. Mother, I came here driven to the land of death in want of prophecy from Tiresias's shade. Nor have I yet coasted Greece's hills, nor touched my own land, but have had hard roving since first I joined Lord Agamemnon's host by sea for Ilion, the wild horse country, to fight the men of Troy. But come now, tell me this, and tell me clearly. What was the bane that pinned you down in death? Some ravaging long illness, or mild arrows a-flying down from Artemis? Tell me a father. Tell me of the son I left behind me. Have they still my place, my honors, or have other men assumed them? Do they not say that I shall come no more? And tell me of my wife. How runs her thought? Still with her child? Still keeping our domains? Or bride again to the best of the Greeks? To this, my noble mother answered quickly. 
Still with her child indeed she is, poor heart, still in your palace hall. Forlorn her nights and days go by, her life used up in weeping. But no man takes your honored place. Telemachus has care of all your garden plots and fields, and holds the public honor of a magistrate, feasting and being feasted. But your father is country-bound and comes to town no more. He owns no bedding, rugs, or fleecy mantles, but lies down winter nights among the slaves, rolled in old cloaks for cover near the embers. Or when the heat comes at the end of summer, the fallen leaves all round his vineyard plot heaped into windrows make his lowly bed. He lies now, even so, with aching heart and longs for your return while age comes on him. So I, too, pined away, so doom befell me, not that the keen-eyed huntress with her shafts had marked me down and shot to kill me, not that illness overtook me, no true illness wasting the body to undo the spirit, only my loneliness for you, Odysseus, for your kind heart and counsel, gentle Odysseus, took my life away. I bit my lip, rising perplexed, with longing to embrace her, and tried three times, putting my arms around her, but she went sifting through my hands, impalpable as shadows are, and wavering like a dream. Now this embittered all the pain I bore, and I cried in the darkness, Oh, my mother, will you not stay? Be still here in my arms. May we not in this place of death as well hold one another, touch with love, and taste salt tears' relief, the twinge of welling tears? Or is this all hallucination, sent against me by the Iron Queen Persephone to make me groan again? My noble mother answered quickly, O oh, my child, alas, most sorely tried of men, great Zeus's daughter Persephone knits no illusion for you, all mortals meet this judgment when they die. No flesh and bone are here, none bound by sinew since the bright-hearted pyre consumed them down. The white bones long exanimate to ash. Dreamlike, the soul flies, insubstantial. You must crave sunlight soon. Note all things strange seen here to tell your lady in after days. So went our talk. That's a passage from Book 11 of the Odyssey. We might wonder, did Anticlea take her own life? She says, 
Only my loneliness for you, Odysseus, took my life away. Odysseus wants to embrace his dead mother, but her flesh and bones are now ash and only her insubstantial soul remains, which makes us wonder, how does he recognize her? She says his father sleeps outside now among the slaves. Will her talk of how reclusive and depressed-sounding his father has become prompt Odysseus to value his father more upon his return? Or has Odysseus been granted an extraordinary experience and missed the meaning his mother tried to share with him? No one Odysseus sees or talks to in the underworld is content. They complain. They're unhappy. Well, let's shift from the ancient Greek underworld to a modern American cemetery. Cemeteries should be quiet zones, but their peacefulness gets disrupted when the grass must be cut. The contemporary American poet Ted Couser considers this recurring event in his poem, Old Cemetery. The poem begins with a kind of description any alert visitor might note. Only three sentences long, the first spilling out for eleven and a half lines, the second much shorter, and really a fragment rather than a legitimate sentence. But then we'll hear a shift in the third sentence. Couser will imagine what the dead hear when the mowing is over and what they feel when their zone reverts to its peaceful state. This is Ted Couser's old cemetery. Somebody has been here this morning to cut the grass, coming and going unseen, but leaving tracks, probably driving a pickup with a low mower trailer that bent down the weeds in the lane from the highway. Somebody paid by the job, not paid enough, and mean and peevish, too hurried to pull the bindweed that weaves up into the filigreed iron crosses or to trim the tall red prairie grass too close to the markers to mow without risking the blade. Careless and reckless, too, leaving green paint scraped from the deck of the mower on the cracked concrete base of a marker. The Deb must have been overjoyed to have their world back to themselves, to hear the creak of trailer springs under the weight of the cooling mower, and to hear the pickup turn over and over and start at last and drive away, and then to hear the soft ticking of weeds springing back, undeterred, in the lane that leads nowhere the dead want to go. That's Ted Couser's poem, Old Cemetery. We will return to cemeteries in other episodes of Poems for Company. You may go to kmun.org to find the podcast of this and all episodes of Poems for Company, along with the link to my website that lists the poems you have heard. Our theme music is Philip Auberg's Going to the Sun from his CD, 
live from Montana. Available at sweetgrassmusic.com. Thank you for listening to Poems for Company. <laughs>